0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. We got a doubleheader on our hands. Game 1, it's the Detroit Tigers 4, the Cleveland Guardians 2. Game 2, it's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Detroit Tigers 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and clearly the magic number in this series is four runs if you want to win the game. But let's talk about the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played and did you have enough baseball today it was a long day of baseball wasn't it and uh you know uh the day starts with a bang and it ends with a bang i mean honest to god if you caught the first inning of game one and you caught the last inning you know bottom of the eighth top of the ninth of game two uh, you, you pretty much saw everything you needed to see, didn't you? You saw eight runs scored. You, you saw the Tigers go off on uh, Gavin Williams. You saw the Guardians' young guys put a rally together, which was impressive to see. And, uh, yeah, you you saw the top storylines in the game by just watching the first inning of Game 1 and the last inning of Game 2. It's a pretty weird day with with a lot of zeros in between i mean a lot of zeros in between all right so let's get into it let's break down these two games and look I, it kind of sucks it kind of sucks that the you know the offense between two games uh, they managed 13 hits spread across the two games while the tigers managed 14 hits it's again it's not super impressive it's not super exciting baseball but what we're going and it sucks that we split, you know, split with the Tigers. Uh, you know, part of the reason, we've talked about this before, but part of the reason the Guardians are in the situation they're in is because how effective they've been against the American League Central. Or I should say how ineffective they've been against the American League Central. And Detroit is one of those teams. Now, one of the things I was reflecting on this a little bit, and you know, one of the things that we noticed happening during the offseason were some of these teams in the American League Central were making moves to get better. And the Guardians were not. The Guardians were standing pat. And how many times have you ever seen a team, even if they were the division winners the year before, stand pat while everybody else in their division tries to get a little bit better? How many times does that work out well for the team that stood pat, right? Not very often. Not very often. Even the Cleveland teams in the 90s still tried to improve themselves. So They made some crazy trades. They traded away Kenny Lofton and then had to go get him back. Uh, you know, they got Robbie Alomar to shore up the middle of the infield. Like, they they made big moves and got some big players. Now, they they also depleted their farm system, but that's a whole other story because some of those trades yeah, were a little ill advised. I believe I remember a Ricardo Rincon trade in there. So, I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but the... Uh, could be a reason why the Guardians this year in 2023 have struggled against the American League Central. Uh, now, clearly, the American League Central is having a down year as a whole, but I don't expect any team from the American League Central to compete for a World Series for an AL pennant. Do you? Probably looking at a division winner with a fir- you know getting bounced in the first round. That's that's kind of kind of the way it's looking this year. Uh, okay, so. As you can see, you can pull a lot of negativity from these things. Gavin Williams, someone who's been pitching very well, getting shelled in the first inning. You can pull a lot of negativity from these things. I'm going to try to find the positive. But we can't deny Gavin Williams absolutely got his butt kicked in the first inning of this game, giving up three runs. Uh, a leadoff home run to Akil Badu on the second pitch of the game, 107.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 412 feet, 23 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, Then a, he uh, a does get two ground outs but gives up a double, a mashed double. But Spencer Torkelson hits high off that center field wall, would have been home run in 20 out of 30 ballparks. Kerry Carpenter singles him in before Miguel Cabrera dumps a double down the left field line which let's be honest okay more negativity here if it was Steven Kwan out there in left field he's probably catching this ball and ending in the inning he's probably coming up with that catch i in fact in fact in fact this this hit from Miguel Cabrera has an expected batting average of 0.80 because A lot of people would probably expect a Stephen Kwan-type left fielder to make this catch. Unfortunately, Oscar Gonzalez is getting the start in left field, and he doesn't have the range. He doesn't have the ability to dive for the ball. He's He's not a good outfielder. If he could hit for power, you would accept it in right field. We've accepted other right fielders that can mash. We would accept it in right field if he was hitting 30 home runs a season but he's not. And so uh Miguel Cabrera dumps one down the left field line and they put three runs across. Now, with that being said, the positive is that he does settle down and looks very good uh for the next four innings, right? It uh, does get into some trouble in the third, but a couple of strikeouts, uh some big strikeouts there of uh, Torkelson, a carry Carpenter fielder's choice, and then a strikeout of Miguel Cabrera. It's good stuff. Shuts him down one, two, three in the fourth. Gets into a little bit more trouble. Akil Badu again. A leadoff double in the fifth inning. But a line out, a walk, and two ground outs. And he's able to get out of the fifth inning. So the final line on Gavin Williams is five innings pitched, six hits, three earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, one home run given up on 90 pitches. Oh boy, this is troubling here. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. On 90 pitches. Oof, they, they they were all over him. And I guarantee you, a lot of those. Were off that four seam fastball. In fact how bad was that fastball. First let's just talk about the location. It was pretty much in the middle of the plate. If we had to draw a heat map. Uh, in fact I might have that available. Yes heat map. Uh, can I do it just by four seam fastball. I can. Uh, the heat map for Gavin Williams. Four seam fastball is. Oof. I'm telling you, dead center in the plate. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a heat spot, uh, middle up, and then middle, middle is bright red hot. The heat map doesn't lie. You were stuck in the middle of the plate, Gavin Williams, and that's where most of the hits get, come. In fact, of the six hits, uh, five of them are via the fastball, uh, and it starts with Bedu's home run is uh, a four-seam fastball, Uh, You know, he throws him a fastball middle away and then throws him one middle middle. And, I mean, clearly you just showed him that fastball at that eye level and he was geared up for it. Hits at 107.2, like we said. Torkelson's double was a fastball. Uh, Kerry Carpenter's single in the first inning was a fastball. Miguel Cabrera's single in the first inning was only a 94.2 mile per hour inside fastball that he pulled and uh, Rick Manning was shocked. Shocked in the booth. Uh, Veerling's single in the third inning was on a fastball. Uh, that was the middle up pitch, and then uh, the slider to Akil Badu. Uh, it was a high slider up at the letters a little bit, and he on uh, breaking in on his hands, and uh, he pulls it into uh, into right field for that double. So the slider is the only one of the five of the six that wasn't a four seam fastball. So uh, location, you know, we've talked before that the location problem for Gavin Williams was staying up and high to the arm side of the plate, right? To the left side of the plate from the catcher's view where he couldn't get that fastball down into the strike zone. Now he's down in the strike zone, but he's stuck in the middle of the plate. A whole different problem for Gavin Williams and uh, clearly something he's going to spend his bullpen sessions working on. Now when we go to the player breakdown page here, uh yeah, 17 swings on his four-seam fastball, which he threw the most on the day, 36 times. 17 swings, only two whiffs. Seven called strikes. All right, but they put they only fouled off three and put 12 in play at an average exit velocity of 96.3. So they averaged a hard hit ball off that four-seam fastball off the 12 they put in play. Whew. That is uh that is not a good number. Uh it's a whiff rate, 25% CSW on that pitch. Now, everything else, the slider, the curveball, the changeup, all have 50% whiff rates or above. The slider had a 56% whiff rate, 48% CSW total on that pitch. Now, that was a good pitch. They only put four in play on 16 swings, had an average exit velocity of 79.8. So, good job. Okay, here's where my positive is. It was a good adjustment from Gavin Williams. You know, if he goes one more inning, they would consider that a quality start, right? We're They're always looking for six innings pitch, three runs or less to qualify as a quality start. He only goes five innings pitch, but three runs or less, he does get into some, you know, some stuff in the first inning, but he is able to hold it down from there and clearly makes an adjustment using that slider more. Uh, so that is something, uh, that we can at least take away positive from Gavin Williams, that he was able to make an adjustment on the mount. If this offense could have gotten anything going against Tarek Skubal, then, uh, then that actually, you know, we probably wouldn't be as frustrated and it wouldn't be as much of a negative, but Skubal was very, very good. Uh, it's 35% whiff rate total. His best pitch was the changeup against us. It had a 47% whiff rate. Uh, That changeup did Uh, 44% CSW total on that pitch. It's a 38% CSW total for Tarek Skubal on the day. So getting the whiffs, getting the called strikes. uh, He was very effective against us. His final line on the day is six innings pitch, only three hits, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts on 88 pitches. He is only hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. So a much better performance on the other side from Scooble. Uh, they do get to him in the first inning. They get a little something going in the first inning, um, but that's it. That, that's uh, you know They score again in the ninth when it's already a 4-1 to uh, one game, and they need it a little bit more. But uh, Jose Ramirez double and then an Oscar Gonzalez single at 109.3 miles per hour. By the way, Oscar Gonzalez had the hardest hit ball in both games in both games. This one goes for a hit. The other one was a line out in game 2. But just letting you know, yeah, he did barrel some up. Uh which is, it's good to know. Good to keep in the back of your mind that Gonzalez was making some really hard contact. Um so yeah, so uh the Guardians offense what can I say about this offense? Uh you know, it's another one of these crazy lineups because it's a doubleheader some you know, he gives some guys Game one off, he gives Quan game one off, he gives uh, Jimenez game one off, they both pinch hit later, of course, Quan hits a triple to lead off the ninth inning, Uh, a little bit too late, but uh, of course Quan goes into the game and good things happen, you know Quan is kind of at the top of my list of favorite players right now, so I'm not shocked he goes into the game and good things happen, Ramirez goes two for four in that two hole again, it's it was paying dividends, and you know what's interesting? In game two, we're going to see how having Ramirez in the two-hole is a good decision. It just doesn't pay off for Terry Francona. Unfortunately, Ramirez can't come up with the hits in some moments in the game where we really needed him in game two. Uh, but goes two for four in this one uh, with a run scored. Uh, so, yeah, offensively, it's a really, really weak day. There's a lot of offers in this lineup. There are a lot of offers. In fact, Rokio is having an absolute terrible day. He goes 0 for 3 with 3 strikeouts and a walk in game 1, and was 0 for 3 with 3 strikeouts. So, 6 strikeouts total on the day going into his final at bat in game 2. So, let's move off of game 1. Uh, unless you want to hear me talk about the bullpen usage, hey, Karen is back. By the way, we. I kind of left off that uh, they had to make a bunch of big moves. I kind of buried that lead. Uh, they had to make a bunch of moves. They brought Tim Heron back. They DFA'd uh, Norris. Karencheck is the extra man for the double header. They had to put uh, Gallagher on the uh, concussion IL, so they brought in um, they brought in Zach Collins uh, from AAA to be the backup catcher. Now Zach Collins, that name might sound familiar because he's the former uh 10th round draft pick not 10th round 10th overall draft pick in the first round by the Chicago White Sox so while we're talking about these moves I might as well take a pause from the game on the field and tell you a little bit about Zach Collins he's gonna be here for probably you know a week 10 days uh I would actually like to see him here more uh the thing about him is like so yeah he's a first round draft pick from the Chicago White Sox I, you're probably thinking to yourself, Davey, what information would you have for us on Zach Collins? Well, of course, I'm crazy enough to go back and dig through the prospect rankings all the way back in 2017 when he was the number six prospect in the White Sox system at the time. 2017, long time ago. Back then, they had him at the uh, hit grade was a 50. The power was a 55 the, arm, uh, the run was only a 30, the arm was 50, the fielding was 45, they had him graded as a 50 overall player. Listen to this scouting report, one of the best offensive players available in the 2016 draft. Collins has a track record of production that extends back to starring with the US 16 and under national team in 2011. He could have been an early round choice in 2013, but instead opted to attend Miami where he helped the Hurricanes reach the College World Series in 2015 and 2016 and topped NCAA Division I with 78 walks in the latter year. The White Sox coveted him and signed him for 3, million, 3 plus million as the 10th overall pick. Collins has a big left-handed power and excels at drawing walks. And he provided plenty of both in his pro debut at Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. So they go on and on and talk about his bat and how good his bat is. And man, when he finally reaches the majors, it just doesn't click in three years with the White Sox, he's got an OPS in 2019 of 6.56. He's got an OPS in 2020, only nine games played, of 2.92. That's the OPS, and he's got an OPS in 2021 of 6.68. And it just wasn't good enough, and the White Sox cut him loose. He bounces around with Toronto and Pittsburgh last year before I finally come in here on a minor league deal and going down and playing in AAA here. So uh, let's see how was he doing in Columbus, by the way? Hitting 255 had an 801 OPS in Columbus, so has 15 home runs in Columbus. So was playing fairly well in Columbus, uh, still drawing a decent amount of walks, 68 walks, but to 148 strikeouts. takes a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I, there was a time in, in 2018, he drew 101 walks in the minor leagues in double-A baseball. Um, so this guy can draw walks, and it's no surprise that in this game, his first star for the Guardian, Guardians, he goes one for one, and he draws two walks. I was not shocked when I saw that happen, because I read the scouting report <laughs> before the game, and uh, I was the one thing that clicked. Oh, this guy can hit, and he drew walks. All right, let's see what he does. Draws two walks. Um, and those walks, you know, these things would set up potential rallies, unfortunately, Jose Ramirez comes up multiple times in pressure situations. uh, They they turn the lineup over for him. It's all set up for him, and he can't get the job done. Uh, In the third inning, he's up with Collins on base and pops out. Um, That one was unfortunate. Comes up again, and he's got Collins and Quan on with uh, one-out walks. To set something up. And he pops out again in the 5th inning. By the way, so does Andres Jimenez. Behind him. In both innings. The 3rd and the 5th inning. They both pop out. That's weird. Comes up again in the 7th inning. This time it's 2-out walk to Collins. A 2-out walk for Quan, And he hits into a force out. uh, Grounds out. uh, The 3rd base. Chops one to 3rd base. uh, To end the threat there in the 7th inning. So. We talked about moving Ramirez into the two-hole. It gets him into these situations with runners on base quicker. It gives him an opportunity. He doesn't have to wait through an Ahmed Rosario at bat. He's the guy. He's the guy up there now with runners on. Uh, Game one, he goes two for four. This game, some pretty rough at bats. They got him batting from the right side of the plate. We all know that's kind of his weaker side of the plate, right? He's a much better left-handed hitter. It's... Yeah, over the last few years, let's be honest. And uh, unfortunately, Ramirez doesn't come up with a hit in any of these situations where he had a chance here. So um, luckily, luckily in game two, sticking with the positives here in game two, the young guys are able to put together a rally. And it happens in the eighth inning. The Detroit Tigers bullpen finally catches up with them. They just they don't have the arms out there. Uh, to really compete at a high level Uh, this season. I'm sure that bullpen, I'm sure there's Tigers podcasters out there right now lamenting that bullpen uh, and how it's killed them all season. But uh, the eighth inning, they are in there facing uh, Cisnero, uh, Jose Cisnero. Oh, and Vasquez. Uh, It starts with Andrew Vasquez, um, and then Cisnero has to come in after him. And it starts with a Andres Jimenez walk. Now, the the key maybe to this whole inning here is Oscar Gonzalez hitting into a force out but beating out the back end of the double play. And it was close. It was bang, bang. But Gonzalez beats it out. And that hustle would prove to be huge because it sets up this rally. Cole Calhoun with a walk moves him up to second. And then Brian Rocchio finally gets his revenge after six strikeouts on the day. Rocchio lining a single uh, into uh, center field. It doesn't hit hard, but man, he hits it in the right spot. They were pounding him. Cisnero, the righty, is just throwing at his knees. Fastball off the plate inside. A changeup down there that he swings through. Another changeup that he fouls off at the knees, inside at the knees. And then he changed changed speed, comes at him with a fastball, and Rocchio jumps on it, pokes it back up the middle, only hits it at 80.5. But drops it into center field, and uh, Gonzalez scores and ties the game. Uh, Calhoun moves up to second. That brings up Will Brennan, and give credit to Will Brennan. I, I think we can all agree that Brennan seems like he's been struggling lately, and uh, might be hitting, you know, a rookie wall or something like that, you know. But uh, lately, it's been a bit of a struggle at the plate. Yeah, his last 30 games, he's hit 217. His last 15 games, it's 232. In his last seven games, he's hit 231. So that hasn't been great, let's say. Uh, so he actually starts in this count up 3-0. and uh, Cisnero misses three times with a cutter, change, and cutter. Then a forcing fastball for a called strike. And then he goes to work. Uh, he starts following things off. But, uh, you know, Cisnero's keeping it in the strike zone now follows off an inside cutter, follows off a slider at the knees, follows off a four-seam fastball right down the middle, and then finally slows it down and gets him a slider, tries a slider middle in, and uh, Brendan is able to rocket that thing into center field, over the center fielder's head, 102 miles per hour. It scores Calhoun, Rocchio comes around to score, and suddenly the Guardians have broken things open, and then why not, let's add on to it, Gabriel Arias right on right. We told you he's a much better. We told you. I told you he's a much better hitter. Right on right. Takes a slider that he fouls off down the middle of the plate. And then Cisnero tries to come in, middle in with a sinker, a 95.6 mile per hour sinker. And he fires this thing into right field. Stays back on it. Goes inside out on an inside pitch. It's an impressive swing. Shoots it there at 102.6 miles per hour down into right field, and Brennan comes in to score. So a huge at-bat from Arias. He would get thrown out stealing. It was an awkward slide. It didn't look like the best jump uh, before Bo Naylor would finally ground out to end things. But look at those young guys. Rokio, Brennan, Gabriel Arias, all coming up with huge, huge hits when the Guardians needed it the most. And you know what my positive is on this day when we split with the uh, Tigers, at least those young guys, at least Rokio and Brennan and Arias got to experience a little bit of the progressive field magic, right? A little bit of the thing that's made that ballpark so special. All those walk-off wins, all those late inning rallies, all those late inning comebacks, they got to experience one. They got to be the stars of one. So that's my positive. That's what I'm taking away. On a day when, yeah, we the offense was pretty pretty lame. The offense was pretty lame. Let's be honest. Uh, to go that many innings uh, before they finally unload on an actual rally uh, was a long wait. It was kind of worth it, eh, kind of not. I, I understand those of you that are very frustrated with this day. All right. On the other side of things for game two, Savion Curry pitched very well. Six innings pitched, five hits. One earned run, two walks, six strikeouts on 81 pitches. He's only hard hit four times. Before this this day started, if I told you that Gavin Williams and Xavier Curry were pitching both parts of a doubleheader, who would you have put money on to have the better day? You know you all would have laid money on Gavin Williams. And Curry comes out here and looks really good. And what pitch was working for him? It was the Slider. Now, the fastball was decent, uh, actually, but the slider was very good. Had a thirty-five percent whiff rate on that slider, thirty-eight uh, percent CSW total on that pitch. Um, the average exit velocity off both his pitches: uh, eighty-nine point three off the four-seam fastball, eighty-two point eight off that slider. Tanya, it was very, very good pitch for him on the day. Uh, let's jump back to the illustrator see where he was locating things. Uh, he was hitting that... The difference is he was hitting that outside edge. He was hitting that edge to the glove side of the plate um, with the slider, with the fastball. Yeah, sure, there's plenty of things in the middle of the plate. Every pitcher's going to have things in the middle of the plate. Um, but he was making it across and actually hitting uh, that outside edge of the plate. And uh, just out of curiosity, let's see where those uh, what pitches those six strikeouts were. Um... Uh, for them come via the slider, and uh, no surprise, they are towards the outside edge of the plate. Uh, he gets a Keel Badu swinging in the third. He gets Torkelson swinging in the fourth. Those are both high and on the outside edge sliders. Uh, and then two sliders below the knees. McKinstry goes down below the knees, and then Carpenter goes to one in the dirt and chases one in the dirt. And then two four-seam fastballs he gets strikeouts on. Riley Green foul tips one in the first inning on a 3-2 count, and he challenges him inside uh, and gets him to uh, foul tip it into the glove, but he hits the inside that, that inside edge to Riley Green, the left-handed batter, and then he gets Akil Badu, another lefty, with a fastball away on a 2-2 count in the first inning. This one also paints the outside edge for the lefty Akil Badu. So, again, he's able to hit the edges. He's able to hit the edges, and he has a much more effective day than Gavin Williams. Man, location, it's very important for these major league pitchers. It's the big difference, right? Your stuff can be great in the minor leagues, but if you can't locate it in the majors, you're going to have some rough days, and uh, you're going to have rough first innings like Gavin Williams had. So Curry, nice job on the day. Uh, and then the bullpen picks him up and covers it. Sandlin, Henches comes in, De Los Santos, and then Emmanuel Clase gets the save, shuts things down in the ninth inning. Now, the one thing we have to talk about is the fourth inning. And the fourth inning I really pissed off our, our most fabulous emailer, Marlon in Birmingham. Uh, he said that... What did he say about this? Uh, he had a line in here about... Uh, About Oscar Gonzalez. Oh, I haven't seen a Cleveland player botch a play as badly as Oscar Gonzalez since Ryan Rayburn's debacle in Kansas City in 2014, which gave Kluber an undeserved loss. Honestly, I do not remember the play Marlon is talking about. Uh, Marlon always has a better memory than I do. But are you calling this a botch? I'm going to disagree with you here, Marlon. I'm going to push back. Uh, We literally saw on the play before something was going on with either the Sunset or the lights coming on, something about that time of day was blinding to those outfielders. We saw it uh, the series before, right? Where the sun was in the eyes of the left fielder because they started that game at 640 in Cincinnati, and the left fielder was completely blind, and Ramirez ends up with a double. Something was going on out there. The fact that Brennan, two plays in a row, so in the fourth inning, Two plays in a row. It was a, it was a rough fourth inning uh, for the Guardians. They're, they're lucky they only gave up one run there. But uh, in the fourth inning, after a Riley Green single, Torgelson strikes out. Kerry Carpenter hits one up there that uh, Brennan completely loses. It's a 49-degree launch angle, 263 feet out to center field. And uh, Oscar Gonzalez has to run all the way over from right and save him and make the catch. So then the next batter, Andy Ibanez, also hits one at a 49-degree launch angle, hits one at 266 feet. This one's a little bit more towards right field. And now Brennan and Oscar Gonzalez lose it. I mean, absolutely lose it. He looked like he was going to back up Jimenez coming out from second base, not like he was going to make a catch. Neither of them see the ball. I don't know how you could blame Oscar Gonzalez for this. Something wacky was going on out there in center field with the lights, with losing the ball. Sunset, I don't know what it was. We didn't get a good shot of the sky to really see what they were dealing with. Uh, I, I remember Manning saying something about, oh, it's a tricky time of day to be out there. It was like probably, what, 7.45? 8 o'clock? Nah, probably after that. Probably around 8 o'clock. They're out there all the time around 8 o'clock. So I don't know what was... I've never seen that before. Never seen that before. So something was going on out there in center field. Uh, so the, uh, Ibanez is, goes for a double, and Riley Green is able to come around and score. That's the one. Uh, then then Javi Baez gets a single because Rocchio makes a fantastic play. He hits one deep in the hole, Baez does. Rocchio gets it, has the one of the quickest releases you'll ever see across his body, and makes a one-hop throw to Calhoun, and Calhoun can't come up with the catch again. Again, it puts runners on the corner, and then he finally has to bear down and strike out Zach McKinstry uh, to get out of this fourth inning, and frankly, it was a great job by Xavier Curry not being discouraged and actually going to work and really working over McKinstry. Starts the lefty off with a four-seam fastball away that he follows off, drops a curveball on the outside edge for a called strike comes back inside with a four-seam fastball that he lays off before dropping a slider down below the knees and getting him to swing over it for strike three. So he knew he had to get out of it, and he's able to get the job done. Xavier Curry is. So I'm not blaming Oscar Gonzalez. I'm sorry, Marlon. I'm not doing it. I'm calling it a freak play. It had to have been. It had to have been. Who knows? I'm sure somebody in a post-game interview said something about it. But uh, I don't have it. I'm recording this at midnight, so I don't know what was said about it. So uh, just a weird play. And they, they, I mean, that one run nearly won them the game, which would have been really embarrassing just in general. Just in general. All right. Uh, Marlon, the rest of Marlon's email is, I mean, really, really angry. Uh, really angry about the front office. And I just. I can't go there right now, Marlin. I I can't. I I'm trying to find the positives in this day, so uh, I'll save this email because it'll be just as relevant tomorrow. Um, uh, so uh, I also uh, Jeff uh, Jeff in Palo Alto. I haven't forgotten about your deep dive on the rookies. I pulled up some of the numbers, and they're interesting numbers on these rookie pitchers. But with Xavier Curry pitching so good tonight. I kind of want to save it, and I want to see him go one more time through the rotation uh, before we do this. So I think that should time out with the end of the weekend. So we got Bybee going uh, tonight, Saturday night's game, and then we got Logan Allen going on the afternoon game on Sunday. So hopefully by Sunday night, Monday morning, fan graphs will be updated, StatCast will be updated, and we can do an updated rookie rankings or rookie deep dive Starting pitcher deep dive with Xavion Curry added in there because he's he's one of the dudes now. He is one of the dudes, especially after this start. All right. MVP on the day. I gotta go with oof. I mean, there were some big hits there. There were some big hits there at the end of the game. But overall, I thought the pitching performance from Xavion Curry was really needed. Uh, you know, especially after losing game one. You're looking at the guy who's a, you know converted to the bullpen and then converted back to the starting rotation. It's probably not the guy he thinks is going to give you a bounce-back performance and win you a game. But I thought Xavion Curry was fantastic and probably the most valuable player of anyone out there. I, the, the late hits were great from Rocchio and Brennan and Arias, but um, you know they had very long days to get there. Uh, so Xavion Curry is taking home my MVP on the day. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You know these doubleheaders, I, I left some things out. There's always going to be things left out on doubleheaders. It's just so much baseball to cover in one podcast. You get uh, the final again. It's the split. The Tigers take game one, four to two. The Guards take game two, four to one. We will see if anybody for the rest of the weekend can score more than four runs. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Help me find the positives. Help me. What are your positives uh, as this season winds down, let's say? I, we're not getting back in this playoff race anytime soon. We're five games back. So let's just say as this season winds down, hey, if something magical happens in September, that I will celebrate it then. But until then, what are your positives that you're taking away here? Uh, and I will get to I will get to Marlon's rant here on the front office. I, I will. I'll let you have your say, Marlon. I promise. Uh, you can email the show, Cleveland Baseball Mornings at gmail.com. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.